it is my opinion that there isn't a single, for, for people who are Christians, there's absolutely nothing more important in the New Testament. Absolutely nothing. People have a tendency to pick out little pet doctrines and this, and uh, but I think I can prove it when we look at the passages that the Apostle Paul gave us here in the 13th chapter. You know, we read this at a, at a wedding and uh, we'd, other times and so, but to take it seriously, and we have purposely, I wasn't in here earlier, but some of it was already repeated, and, and I want to repeat it again from the 13th chapter, these first six verses in particular, and one phrase in particular. So if we can throw that back up on the stage, up on the overheads. And by the way, next week, this week on Thursday and Friday, all of the material, all of the equipment in the crow's nest up there will be uh, replaced. Our camera went to be with Jesus, and so we got a new camera and some other things so that you can see, you'll be able to see uh, these handsome guys on the platform. That, let's see, I, did, you evidently didn't hear me. These handsome guys on the platform, you know. But let, let's look at this passage of Scripture, and, uh, and, and if you can figure a way to get it up here. Ah, uh, bingo. If I had the gift of being able to speak in other languages without learning them and could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth but didn't love others, I would only be making noise. What the Apostle Paul is talking about here is the gift of tongues was the most sought-after thing in the church at Corinth and other churches too, like Ephesus, because among the pagan religions, and there's one in particular most of you have never heard about, it's called the mystery religions. They had stuff that was kept as a mystery until you joined their, their organization, and then the mystery was revealed to you so you were in the know. And, and so people coming out of paganism brought that thing with them, and they were really... because. Uh, they're, they're, and we'll talk about it a little more later on, but that was really a sought-after thing. And, and the Apostle Paul says, it's of no value at all if you don't love one another. And we're not talking about loving uh, outside of the church. Right now, we're just talking about people within the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God, loving each other. He goes on to say then, if I had the gift of prophecy, and prophecy and preaching are very similar. If I had the gift of prophecy and knew all about what's going to happen in the future, knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would it do? You can be, what he's saying here, you can be really religious. You can be a religious leader. And if you don't love your folks, you're in a heap of trouble. Even if I had the gift of faith, and, and by the way, this is a hyperbole. It's an exaggeration for effect. If I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. In other words, you can be, again, extremely religious 
and without love. It's just that, extremely religious stuff. You can be generous. He said, if I give everything I have to poor people, and if I were burned alive for preaching the gospel but didn't love others, it would be of no value whatsoever. Love is very patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish, underlined circle, selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable or touchy. It doesn't hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong, and I want to repeat that. It hardly even notices when others do it wrong. Why? Because all of us do things wrong. And if we spend all our time picking at what we do wrong, we get nothing else done. And so we will talk about extending grace later on in the message and why it's important. But we hardly, why? Because as Christians, what we're obliged to do according to the scripture is to build people up rather than tear people down. It takes no great equipment operator to tear down things. He goes on to say, It's never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you'll be loyal to him no matter what the cost. Always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him or each other. This is from the Living Bible, and it's easy to understand. As he talks about, as the Apostle Paul talks to the church at Corinth about the necessity of loving one another. Now, if you look carefully at what I had written, if you have your sermon notes, get them out, put them in front of you. It would be helpful if you got, if you can write, get you a pen. If you, if you're not very good, get you a pencil so you can erase it, and you get it wrong. But anyway, because you hardly even notice when others get it wrong. That's kind of clever. I don't know where, wake up, wake up, but when these lights get on, now I don't, I don't need these front ones on up here, but I do need that if it, if it bad mouse, if it ruins these things up here, but I, I do like to see people. That's uh, an old timer's way of doing things. I put on your sermon notes, if you look at the top there, here is the objective for every Christian and every church. Every Christian and every church should have the objective of being able to say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, you fill in the blanks. For me to live is, huh? And for me to die is, now you're getting there. For me to live is, and for me to die is, Now you got it. Now then, so somebody is going to say, how in the heck do you do that? 
How, do you, how can you get to the place where you can honestly say without arrogance or anything else, but in genuine humility say, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, you can see him in me. What does that look like? We're going to talk about that in the minutes to follow. Because if the church had the reputation of reflecting Jesus Christ in the way that we treat each other. Now, this becomes an important issue. Do you have any idea how you prove that you love God? It's by the way you treat each other. It's that simple. And if you and we'll see that, that John talks about that as we look at our text here as we move along a little bit. Now then, let's look at your outline and under... Under the first section it says, how is love, meaning agape love? You remember Rick gave you three different things for love. Phileo, you already know that means brotherly love. And, and anybody can have brotherly love. You don't have to be a Christian to have that. You don't have to be a Christian to be friendly. You don't have to be. But in order to have agape, that's not pretended, that's the real thing. You have to be a Christian. And he's telling us that. Now, so how, how do you get agape? So that we could ultimately get to the place where we can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How do, we, how do we get it so that the reputation of the church isn't about people who treat each other like dirt and talk about each other when they're not around and blah, blah, and talk about other, other congregations and, you know. How do we rise above that to reach the level that the Apostle Paul is talking about here on what love really is? Well, the first thing that's necessary is that you must be born again. You must be born again. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. This is in the third chapter of John. I'm not going to read it all. But he came to Jesus at night and Jesus said, Hey, Nick, you're wondering about this new thing called Christianity? You, you must be born again. Nicodemus asked a stupid question. He said, You mean somebody can enter into their mother's womb again and be born again? Now, that's world-class stupid. And Jesus said to him, you know, here's the way it's done. The first time you were born, you were born from your mommy and your daddy. That's born to the flesh. That's your first birth. The second birth is born again means that you're born to the Holy Spirit. And he said, don't be surprised or marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. In order for you to live a Christian life, you must have the assistance of two things. You have to have the assistance of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and you have to have the encouragement of other believers. You have to have both. And if you want to be destroyed or consume each other, then you badmouth each other. Secondly, not only must you be born of the Spirit, you must be led of the Spirit. Because when you read here in Galatians chapter 14, he, that's exactly what he says. Being led of the Spirit means that you permit the Holy Spirit who lives within you to produce within you the character qualities of Jesus. 
They're called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, blah, 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 against which there is no law. You don't have to worry about the Old Testament rules and regulations when you're governed by the Holy Spirit because you do things right. So the law is laid aside. Some people, some Christians still live by rules and regulations because they're not being led by the Holy Spirit. You can't be both. I've said, and I will repeat, if I had my, and I've been, I've been preaching and teaching for 50 plus years. If I had it to do all over again, I promise you, I would spend a lot more time talking about the work, the presence, the work, and the power of the Holy Spirit than I did a lot of other things. That's the one where I would really go back and redo. Because it's the answer to almost all of our problems. Thirdly, we must be able to move past what I refer to as carnal gifts. Now, why would carnal means flesh? The things of the, or the things that are natural. Some of you guys are old enough to remember a, a song that was in a Broadway musical. Folks where I come from are dumb. They ain't had any learning, but they're as happy as can be a doing what comes naturally. And it's doing what comes naturally that gets us in a heap of trouble. Because naturally, we are selfish. Naturally, we're gossips. Naturally, everything that's wrong comes from doing things naturally instead of spiritually. And that's what he said. And so why did I talk about these gifts? Well, the, the church at Corinth, to whom this 13th chapter is being written... The church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul describes in the first three chapters of the book, he says, I can't talk to you characters. I called them turkeys last night, characters today. I've upgraded. I can't talk to you characters as though you're spiritual because you're yet carnal. You're still governed by the natural things rather than the Holy Spirit. And in spite of the fact that they were governed by the natural instead of the Holy Spirit, they still were speaking in tongues. They were, they had, they were the gift of healing. They had the gift of interpreting tongues. They had all of these gifts. And yet he says, but you're still carnal. I can't speak to you as though you are mature because you're yet babies. I can't give you spiritual meat to eat. I have to give you milk. You're still babies, and you're behaving like babies. You're saying, oh, my gift is better than yours. My, you know, and, and so he, these, these are gifts that they have, and yet they don't love. And so I call them carnal gifts because you rise above that to love is spiritual. Even though those gifts were given by the Holy Spirit, they also were practiced among the mystery religions. But love, agape, was not. And Jesus put this on the table when he was asked one time. He said, hey, what's the most important thing? And it was really a trick. They were trying to trap him, the Pharisees, because they were, they were people who went by the rules. You get it. They had all the rules they applied to themselves and everybody else. And so when you go by rules, all you do is pick at other people. And they were despised. When Christian people spend all their time picking at other people, they shouldn't be surprised when they're despised. 
It's the people that you that love you and try to help you and build you up that you love. Now, in the 14th chapter, when he closes this 13th chapter, he says something really interesting. He said, okay, you got all these other gifts, and you're still behaving like turkeys. So pursue love. Go after agape. And the scripture says that you can add to your faith, you can add brotherly love, add to your brother love, agape. You can, you can say, okay, this is going to be my priority. I want to develop within my life the agape, the love of Christ. I want to show, demonstrate the love of Christ on a consistent daily basis to everybody that I meet. That's the only way we ever get to the place where we can honestly say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the only way that can happen. Now then, and, and I want you to look at the fifth one here, the desire to be obedient. And here's the reason for that. Now, he'll be all right. Don't worry about that. He can't help that. Thirteenth chapter of the book of John makes this clear in verse 34. He says that the Bible says that love, for you to love, isn't a suggestion. He says it's a command. Listen to what John says in John 30, in the 34th verse of chapter 13. He says, a new command I give you, love one another, agape one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's what you're to do. Love the, how did Jesus love us? He denied himself, suffered in order to benefit someone else. And agape is best demonstrated that way. It is self-denial. Jesus said, if you're going to be my follower, and he said this to his disciples, if you're going to be my follower, you must first be willing to deny the natural self before you take up the cross and follow me. So you have to say, okay, this is my natural desire, and I know it's bad. You have to suppress it, and you have to seek after love. And if you don't, you're in a heap of trouble. I'm going to tell you that. He says, he just repeats that same thing in the 15th chapter, verse 17, when you look at it. And he said, this is my command, love each other. That's the only command that he gives us in the New Testament. Because if you love the Lord God with all everything you got and your neighbor is yourself, you don't have to worry about thou shall not steal, thou shall not kill, thou shall not... Thou. You don't have to worry about it. You're not going to do them anyway because you don't treat somebody that way that you love. Now then, let's go on to two, under the second one. What does love look like in a believer? How would you... How would you describe this agape when you see it? Because until we know what it is, we wouldn't recognize it if we saw it. So we have to know what it looks like. First of all, it's this. The natural person we have said, and I told you to circle it when we read it, the natural person is selfish. As Rick started, explained, all, it's all about, the natural person is all about self. 
all about my reputation, all about what benefits me. That's the natural person. That's doing what comes naturally. But the spiritual person puts the benefit of a brother or sister in Christ at least equal to yourself. And in some cases, their concern and welfare above your own. That's what Jesus did. He put our need above his comfort. We were going to die in sin. We couldn't cope with sin. We couldn't overcome sin. So he did it for us, and it cost him his life. And so he says, I want you to love one another the same way that I love you. Now, you can't do that naturally. You have to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to give you that kind of power. And you have to be willing to submit to his leadership, his influence in your life. You have to humble yourself to do that. When we look at the passages of Scripture, this is so important that I'm, I'm going to look at these passages and, and uh, spend a little time on them. Uh, since I got to the 10th chapter of, of 1 Corinthians first. Verse 24 says this. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. The same thing is repeated in Philippians 2. In the fourth verse of Philippians 2, here's what he says. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. When, if and when we make that commitment and reach that level of concern for each other, bearing each other's burdens, sharing with our, others the wealth, the goodness, the blessings that we get, then we demonstrate to the rest of the world what Jesus was wanting us to do. To show the world what love really is. Love, you see, you can love people you don't even like. Because love is how you treat people, not how you feel. Human affection is not needed to love someone. It makes it easier. That's how Jesus, why Jesus said you can love your enemies and pray for them. The person who did that better than anybody in history other than Jesus that I know was Abraham Lincoln, the fellow Kentuckian. He went to Illinois only to do evangelistic work among those Yankees that were lost. And <clears throat> so one of the people who hated him the most, he put on his staff in Washington. And when President Lincoln was murdered in Ford Theater, and he took his last breath, the man that hated him, the man that hated him, said, and is quoted as saying, this was the greatest leader in the history of mankind. You see, what he had done by loving someone that was his enemy is he turned him into a friend. And that's the only way you can do that. Now, so being unselfish, now, Here's, what, here's the way we are naturally. 
We don't want anybody to interfere with our comfort. Don't push me out of my comfort level. You push me out of my comfort level, I push you back. That's the natural person. Everybody seeks to be comfortable. And what we need to understand is that desire that, that, that is now, it's the most important thing, so Dr. Schaefer used to say, in all of our culture, the desire to reach a level financially, physically, everything, of being comfortable. We don't like to be discomforted. Did you know that that's primarily a Buddhist doctrine and not a Christian doctrine? And if we had time to get delve into world religions and for to help you understand Buddhism and it's and and it's uh, how Hollywood in particular has sought it and found it and practices it, it, it would make some sense to you. We really don't have time for that. It's reflected in the it's reflected in the movies. The upcoming most important movie that's upcoming is what? Anybody know what the next movie is? It's going to blow everything out of the water as far as money is concerned. What is it? Star Wars. Absolutely. And what is the one line in the Star Wars that reflects this whole Buddhist concept of disturbing? There's a disturbance in the force. A disturbance in the force. There's a discomfort here. It's bad. Well, let me tell you something. If your force is not disturbed, you'll never be converted. Never. And so the Holy Spirit and the, and the purpose of preaching and teaching the Bible is to disturb the force so that there is a desire for repentance and a different life and then to seek after peace. Okay. I put purposely here, love ceases to be judgmental and is quick to forgive. The New Testament is full of discussing this, and I'm just going to take one or two verses here from Colossians 3, starting at verse 13. Here's what he says. Bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony or unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body we are called to peace and be thankful. And the word of God will then dwell in you richly, he goes on to say. Christians have the, and the church has the reputation, not just ours, but all of them, and ours too, of people who, when they get don't agree with one another, they have to split. They don't sit down and work it out. See, the early church, you couldn't do that. There was only one church. You couldn't go down the street to bug the Pentecostals or to bug the Baptists. I like to bug the Baptists, but that's okay. You couldn't do that because there was just the church. And so people who had differences had to work it out together and create peace. 
and realize that we may not always agree on every little jot and tittle. I'm amazed at the number of fairly new Christians who know what the preacher ought to do. They haven't got sense enough to blow their nose when it comes to understanding Scripture, but they think they know what my job is. Heck, there's sometimes when I don't know what my job is. How could they know? Because it changes when situations, you deal with all of it. But I can tell you something. You, in 50 years, you learn a few things, even though I'm a slow learner. You ask my wife. So we need to understand and here's the problem. Here's the problem. Now listen carefully. What has happened in the history of the church is we have a building full, in many instances, of unconverted people. Now why? It's because the primary problem that's caused by in churches is usually caused by people who have been raised in the church. And when they were X number, maybe even babies, they were hit over the head with a wet rose and say, your name's on the, uh, you're, you're in like Flynn. When you're 12 years old, you go to a little class and you're in like Flynn. They were never converted. They were just enrolled. Let me tell you something, folks. You can be belong to every church in Scioto County and go to hell on a skateboard if you haven't been converted to Jesus Christ. Amen to that? Amen. Conversion is what the Bible teaches, not enrollment. Nothing wrong with enrollment. Put them in there, whatever, but don't lead them to believe that that's salvation. Salvation comes only when we repent of our sins and turn to Jesus Christ because there's nowhere else to go. That's what it is. And converted people know what it is to receive grace. And since they have received grace, they're then eager to extend it to other people. Are you alive and with me? Because this is of tremendous importance. And we'll talk about a few other things here in just a minute. Now let's go on to number three. What are the intended results of Scripture for people who have learned to love? What will be, what Jesus said, I want you all to love one another. Okay, and if we love one another the way Christ loved us, what, will, what is he hoping, what did he plan to happen as a result of that, when, it, when that comes to reality? Here's what he says. Number one, you will be a magnificent influence for God on unbelievers. Now, going to church is not that big an influence. How we treat each other is indeed a powerful influence. And Jesus says this here in 1335 of John. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love each other. Going to church won't cut it, even though it's fine, should. Forsake not the assembly of yourselves together as a manner of some is. So much more as you see that day appearing, he says. But the big deal is, folks, loving each other. You don't have to always agree. On the church staff, we don't always agree. If they all agreed with me, we'd be better off, is what I tell them. But that doesn't necessarily cut it. You just can't do that. Now, secondly, if you are a, a follower of Jesus Christ... You're a, born, you're a convert to Jesus, 
You've been saved. John says this, and John spends, first John spends more time talking about agape love than any other book in the Bible. So here's what he says in 1 John 3, 14. He says that if you want to have assurance of salvation, if you want to know you're going to go to heaven when you die, here's the key. Verse 14, 1 John, third chapter, he says this. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. The word death means what? Separation. You're separated from God. Because the most important thing in all the Christian life is that we love God, and the way we show that we love God is by the way we treat each other. And if you say you love God... And don't treat each other that way. You're a liar and the truth isn't in you. Well, that's pretty strong talk. But that's exactly what he says. Assurance of salvation comes when we start practicing love because we know it's not natural. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in us producing agape love. Third, 1 John, the fourth chapter, verse 20 he tells us, if you want to know for sure, if you have doubt, do I really love God? The proof that you love God, look at your note, proof that you love God. Verse 20 says, if anyone says, I love God. And yet hates his brother. He's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Pretty straight talk. Not that hard to understand. So it's proof. If you want to know proof that you love God, it's, you'll know it by the way that you treat maybe somebody you don't like. You don't have to like them to love them. It's while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. Now then, lastly, as I told you at the outset, the objective for, for, what, uh, for the Holy Spirit producing the, the character qualities of Jesus in our life is so that we can get to the place as we mature in Christ to be able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here's what he says. In Colossians 1.27, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in a province called, uh, in a place called Colossae. And here in verse 27 of chapter 1, this is what he says. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ is, which is Christ in you. And Christ in you is your hope of glory. What he says. Christ in you. And when we go to the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians, and you'll see it down here in closing, in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians, he talks exactly about that. Christ in us. What does it look like? When you're, led, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're led by the Holy Spirit, 
And he produces these character qualities in you. Here's what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's agape. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. No rules and regulations are needed. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be, become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now, practically speaking, or rather biblically speaking, I'm done. Practically speaking, I'm not. I got some things I want to share with you. And then we'll quit. This church, Christ Community Church, was brought into existence and we described ourselves this way. We want to be a hospital for sick souls. A hospital for sick souls. We want to be a place when somebody has trouble. Okay, here's, here's a family whose son is now on drugs. We want them to be able to come here and be accepted without condemnation, without anything other, and we want to try to help them. Here comes a family in. The daddy is a drunk. He's an alcoholic. We want to be able to help him overcome that, introducing them to Jesus Christ, helping them we want to be a place where people, when they have difficulty, will come and say, we can be loved and helped there. And that's why we came into existence. Because church generally had the reputation of being, if, if somebody's son gets on drugs, we talk about them. Not to their face. We don't have that kind of guts. But if they're not listening, we give Give them hail Columbia. And we said, we don't want to do that. Okay, we're going to take heat for that. Because they'll say, they'll put up with anything. Well, probably we will. Probably we will. If we think we can help somebody, we'll do that. And we've had people who worship here who have been murderers. They say, you have people. I've had guys here read. You have people who, well, the apostle Paul was a murderer. Would you let him in your place? He was probably divorced because tradition says he had two sons. Either his wife died or left him. I don't like divorce, but I love divorcees. And I'm not going to treat them any differently than I did if you've never been married. might feel sorry for you. I've kind of liked my way I've done it. Now, let me talk about this a little bit more. Because one of the, every once in a while, our church also consciously, purposely, reaches out to men. Now, that doesn't mean we don't like women. But practically speaking, here's the data. The data says 
If you get the head of the household, and hopefully it's a man, problems exist when it isn't. I'll talk about that too. 90% of the time, the rest of the family comes with him. If you just get the woman, 10% of the time, the rest of the family comes with him. I think common sense says, get the men. Get the men. And I've always purposely structured my sermons to appeal to men. You know, I, I, I don't make any bones about it. I love women. I was attracted to my wife because she had a classy chassis, long blonde hair, sex and socks on a rooster. I'll admit that straight up. So it's really a good thing. But I'm going to tell you this. Here's the best information we can get our hands on. And the information that I'm giving you comes not from public people who have an, a political agenda, but from the Rosemead Academy in California, which is a psychological institute of Christian people. They have said, to the right now, our best knowledge says that homosexuality, whether it's male or female, is influenced mostly at the time children go through puberty. If they negotiate puberty well, they're apt to be heterosexual and norm, what we call normal. If, however, they don't, and here's, and we got big problems here now in our culture, they don't want to blame themselves. 70% of all black girls are pregnant before they get married. 50% of Hispanic girls are pregnant before they get married. White people like to brag and say only 33 or 4% of the white girls are pregnant before they get married. What isn't factored into that is the white people have more money and they have more abortions and it doesn't show up. But they're just as sexually promiscuous as anybody else. And so now we're growing up girls raising little boys who have no father present and they don't know what they're to grow up to be. And so there has been, since all of this started, and, it, and folks, it started with women's lib. Face up to it. Oh, you're going to say that? I just did. And since then, it's just gone to hell in a handcart. Our families have fallen apart. Homosexuality has risen to levels way beyond it, it used to be when the traditional homes were more prominent. Every once in a while, we have women when there's a woman that runs the house. Okay, you got a man over here, but he's a wimp. And the woman runs the house. And every once in a while, they leave our church because we don't allow the women to be bosses. Listen, women, you should love your husband and be subject to his leadership, encourage his leadership, because this is the way the Bible teaches it. And God ain't wrong. Our culture is. And we need to have somebody who will stand up and say it and take the heat that goes with it. At my age, I could care less about heat. All right. Now then, 
some of you may not like what I've said, and I'll defend your right to differ with me and feel sorry that you're wrong. Okay. Well, I'm done. But I got two or three more things I need to say, and then I'll let you go, because I'm still going to get done quicker than Rick does. You ought to get a standing ovation, you know. Listen to me. Next week, we need to fill this thing up with our coins. Don't forget that. Bring them next week. Two, as soon as we make known the fact that the children of the world are coming on a, and it becomes public, the tickets to the dinner, Thanksgiving dinner when the children perform, are going to disappear. Get your tickets this morning because when we get to 700, that's the end of it. We're not going to make 701. It stops at 700. So get them. I don't care how. Rick will be out there with his hand out for your three bucks. If you don't have the three bucks, charge them to Rick. He, he, this Rick over here. I mean, I saw the ring on her finger. She's, she's going to have to start wearing a sling to carry her ring. He's loaded. Well, he made, and, and I, I, I looked at that ring. They're showing it, you know, going around like, and I, I wasn't impressed. I thought it was kind of dumb, really, because when I bought my ring and gave it to Alice Kay, she helped pay for it. <laughs> you know, I'm not as dumb as I look. So get your tickets, and if you can't afford them, Write them an IOU, whatever, but get them because I want the congregation to have, because the children of the world will be here on Saturday night, but it's just a teaser. They're just going to do one song. They're not going to put a full program. Sunday morning, they're going to do another teaser. Just one song, then they're out of here. The program of the children of the world will be Sunday night at the dinner. And that, I'm right on it, Rick, because he's negotiated that. So uh, get your tickets today, and, and, and don't let that go. Cause, and, and the other thing that you need to do is this. At this time of year, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and right before, around Easter time, people are more open to an invitation to come to church than any other time. That's just the culture we live in. I asked last night, and I'm going to do it this morning, how many of you are willing to invite someone to come to church with you next week? The rest of you lie. There you go. We really start, it's, it's important that we start doing that right now. Right now. And if you'll do that, I really appreciate it. Let's see here now. Um, and we, need to, and we need people to decorate tables. We'll have 70 tables to decorate. And it doesn't have to be fancy. They're only 20 inches wide, so you just got a little in the middle or you don't have room to put your plate, and putting your plate's more important than staying in the middle. Just decorate a little bit with some color, pretty stuff down the middle because uh, we tear down all of these chairs, put up 70 tables, decorate them, and have them ready for Sunday night. So you need to, if you're willing to decorate a table or two, just sign up, and we'd appreciate it. Ten chairs to a table. 
700 people, 70 tables. You got it? Okay. Okay. Invite others, empty coins, new equipment upstairs. That's only $20,000. One of you can pay for that. Uh, tickets for Thanksgiving dinner, table decorations, first-time visitors up here. Anything else, Ricky? I'm still on time. Aren't you proud of me? Folks, God bless you. You've been patient. You're free to go. Thank <clears throat> you.